You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning, Anthem Church. Glad you guys made it in here this morning, paddled your way over. Um, I only had to drive through one set of barricades for a road close to get here to church this morning. That's no lie. So it is wet out there. And some of you guys still did like the Four Columbia Serve Day yesterday. You guys are troopers. I know like Luke Hedinger borrowed my truck and it came back like sopping wet, smelling like like a musty dog. But uh, it happened. And so for those that, that did that, thanks for serving the city. It's awesome to see um, so many people. I think they had 48 churches signed up. Um, to participate with, I don't know, how many, like a thousand plus people. And so um, thanks for loving our community. Wanted to follow up on that. So um, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 31 this morning. So Exodus chapter 31, and uh, we're going to be looking at art and rest. Art and rest and a couple things, like if you're uh, this, you know, kind of blue-collared redneck, you're like, Really? And all the hipsters are like, yeah, this is going to be a good morning. Um, Art, let's talk about some art. And so um, (laughs) it's going to be fun. The Bible's going there, so Exodus 31. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to define what Scripture's talking about when it says art and when we're talking about rest or Sabbath, rather. Um, We're going to show how both of those things, both art and Sabbath, reveal the glory of God and then provide some practical ways as a church that we can engage in these things, both art and rest. And so Exodus chapter 31, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of uh, Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with the knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have called and appointed with him Aholiab, son of Ahismach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all men, able men, uh, ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, uh, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons, and for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense of the holy uh, place. According to all that I've commanded you, they shall do. Okay, let's stop there. So you look at these first verses, and it's building on what uh, Todd Van Voorst was teaching on last week. As you looked at the verses leading up, they're going to build this tabernacle. God's saying, I want to be with you. I want my presence to dwell there among you. And so they're going to build this tabernacle, and he's giving them all this specific stuff. And you, and you saw it there, kind of verses um, 7 through the end, all these things that they're going to build. Now you have to remember, again, the context. This is... The, the, the nation of Israel, roughly two to three million strong, and they are exiting out of Egypt where they were in slavery, and here they are camped in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. You get the scene? So they're out in the wilderness, and God's saying, I want to be present among you, and so 
build this thing to spec. You'd be thinking, well, <laughs> how are we going to build all this stuff? And so where God commands, he, he also provides. And they're going to make all these things that you saw on the list there, and they're going to make them well. How are they going to do that? God's saying, I've appointed these guys, uh, Bezalel and Aholiab, and I've filled them with my spirit, the spirit of God, to do all this work. Do you see that in verses three? He said, I've filled them with the spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with the knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in every craft. Does it make sense? God is saying, this is a gift. This, this is an anointing I have given to these guys in particular to do this work. Now, does that make, make sense? Like, for example, we all can sing, but some can, like, sing really well. You know what I'm talking about? Like, everybody can sing, but not everybody can sing well. <laughs> and so I, I'm not saying that this person's life is one that you want to model necessarily, but I remember like the first time I heard Adele sing, you know what I'm talking about? You're just like, okay, like that's a, I, I do not and will never sound like that. Now, now how people use these giftings is, is kind of, can be all over the map, but there's, there's a, a next level uh, of gifting. Uh, for example, another one more personally, like I do, I work with wood, right? right I'm going to show you. This is what, I work with wood, and then also my 92-year-old neighbor, Floyd, who's a World War II veteran, he works with wood too. <laughs> one of us is gifted, one of us not so much, okay? Floyd, in his free time, makes things like, like cuckoo clocks, you know what I'm talking about? I got a picture of the, like these intricate working clocks. As a 92-year-old guy, he just makes them just for fun. And so my wife and girls will oftentimes go over and visit Floyd and just see what he's doing, pet his dogs, hang out, and look at this stuff that he makes for our. So Floyd, with my girls, they've got a couple of pet bunnies, and, uh, and they got together. Now we have more bunnies, but that's besides the point. He knew they liked bunnies. And so as like a, like a little party favor, he had a piece of scrap wood, and he, this is what Floyd does with wood. Do you see that? This is the kind of stuff he gives children that come over to visit. They're like, here, have a bunny. And, and knowing full well, my kids, like, they're probably going to break this if we let them have it. We see it as like incredible art, but in comparison to the cuckoo clocks he makes, he's like, here, just have it. Okay, this is what I do with wood. I'm kind of proud of this until I look at that. This is a, just a tree limb cut, and you see how I put a hole in top there? put a tea candle. Mm -hmm. My daughter Danica loves these. She tries to sell them to every guest that comes into our house. Uh, uh, um, that's that, okay? Both working with wood. I know you like this candle, but come on. You have to look at the, the work of Floyd's hands and be like, okay, you may be gifted to do that. And again, God is saying the purpose of gifting these guys is that they would use it to, to fulfill the command that he gave to build these things. And so the purpose of, of this ability was that they would use it to glorify God, that in doing so, they're gonna make things for the tabernacle. And this is where people would go to encounter God. And so it was reflective 
of who God was and people's dedication to him. Meaning, can you imagine if people like me would have been charged for, for making the tabernacle stuff? People would have walked in and they would have said, wow, this is terrible. <laughs> right? If, if I was not gifted and I was to make all these things in the wilderness and to try and do the, all the, the things, you see all the stuff that they're supposed to be making, the, the basins, the utensils, they're, they're going to be working with, uh, they're, I don't know how they do these things, with primitive instruments nonetheless, but working in gold and silver and bronze, cutting stones for setting, and, and not only that, they're going to be uh, making the garments. They've got to do it all. What he's saying is that they're going to do these things, and they've been filled with the Spirit of God to, to do them well, to do them excellently. They're going to make them beautiful, and it's going, to, it's going to say something about how they value God and who he is and their relationship, and it's going to reveal something about God in, in, in regards to you've seen great art before. Again, maybe it's a musician. Like you've been to that moment, and you've heard them, or you've seen that, and you're like, there must be a God in heaven. <laughs> for them to sound like that or for that to look that way. And he's saying, this is what these guys gift. It is to be used to glorify God. And I'd say in that vein that, that things that are done poorly, things that are just cruddy, they, they don't honor God. Bad Christian music, poorly done Easter pageants, uh, church buildings and grounds that are kind of run down and dilapidated, all those communicate a sense of value or worth. For example, if we walk to your house and, and you just, you let your house go, you would communicate, I don't value this very much. Or if your, your car, you just, it just looks like terrible. What you're communicating, again, it's not implicitly wrong, but you're saying, I don't value this enough to really do it well or take care of it. And you see the contradiction that, that if this was done poorly, the lack of witness that it would serve. Or here's another illustration. If you took somebody out to a retreat, like at a camp somewhere, we did the men's retreat, or if you were a part of our Salt Company College retreat, can you imagine going out to a, a Christian camp and seeing the grounds and it being kind of run down, grass is long, nobody's trimming anything? They're like, okay, let's pull the TV out, and they, they cart the TV out, and it has wheels and like the VCR deck underneath. And you, can you imagine like sitting on the mismatched furniture that, that seems like was donated from churches that didn't want it anymore? And so that's what filled the camp up. Some of you are like, you're describing my summer camp experience, right? That would communicate something because can you then imagine the preacher getting up and saying, you know what? God he is awesome. He loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. He wants your whole life. He is worthy of it all. All that is true. And can you imagine being an outsider being like, okay, you're telling me God is awesome. You're telling me he's worthy of it all. But when I look around, it seems like all God should get is our leftovers. What we do in, in regards to arts, what we do in terms of presentation communicates something about our value of who God is. And it communicates something about that dedication. And so that's why when it comes to anthem, it's like, how should we respond? What should that look like? And we're saying, we're unashamedly gonna wanna do these things well. We wanna give God 
our first fruits, not what is left over, right? We, we want to go out and, and get a new guitar that works well instead of running down to the pawn shop and buying you know, something that sounds terrible. If we're going to do this, let's, let's do this excellently. Let's do this well. God would want your first fruits when it comes to your gifts and when it comes to time, talents, and treasures. Does that make sense? That, that those things are a reflection. It's not just your prayer life and your Bible reading, but what you do with the, the skills that God has given you, what you do with the money that God has given you. These are reflections. They're not the only thing, but they are a reflection. And so in Exodus 31, God's saying, I want this done and I want it done well, so much so that I'm gonna fill people with the spirit of God so that they can do art. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, God values it enough to, to, to set aside a few guys, and he wants them to do this well. And the purpose is that it would glorify God. And so people are gonna walk into the tabernacle, they're gonna observe the work of, of human hands, and they're gonna be able to exclaim, there must be a God in heaven. And so, just to be honest, though, like for me, I read this, and I'm like, I know it's in the Bible, but, but people can experience God in other ways. Like, how much value do you really place on that? Honestly, when our church was sending us, their number one concern of my leadership was that I wouldn't value art enough. I think that's absolutely fair. And they're saying, Stan, we don't know if you value it because honestly, I, I know how much these things cost up here, these instruments and stuff. I'm like, really? Like, because people can experience God just through Bible studies. Like, do we really need to spend the money on all these things? Uh, people can experience God another way. God doesn't need nice things uh, or excellent things to reveal himself. Art is expensive. It takes a lot of time. And again, those might not be your objections, but, but certainly for me, those are things that run through my mind. And here's, as I study this out, at the end of the day, I want God to get the glory. I want God to be praised. And you can't deny that art done well is just yet another way that people can glorify God and praise him. As much as teaching the Bible, as much as doing connection groups, developing leaders are gonna glorify God and push people to him, art, done well, brings people to God. In fact, there was somebody that's been coming to Anthem Church for a little while, and they just wanted to volunteer, you know, kind of what they appreciated about Anthem Church. And so they, they found me, and they're saying, yeah, I, the messages, that's, that's fun. People are really welcoming. They're saying, man, when you guys do worship, I, not being really a church person, I haven't experienced that before. And to be able to sing those truths about who God is, it moves me in a way, and oftentimes I leave with just the truths of those songs on my heart. This is a person that's fairly new to church, and they're saying, the, the worship, the singing, the art is what draws me closer to the Lord. Come on, even as a redneck farm kid, you, if people are getting closer to the Lord, you have to value that. And you have to recognize that God is going to use that to move people, to bring him closer to him. And so 
again, if I want to be about God getting the glory, say let's do these things and let's do these things well. Again, I think you can, and here's the thing, is I feel that that individual really represents the culture we live in. Right? And when I say the culture we live in, Columbia specifically, things like First Friday, the art stuff that goes downtown, the True False Film Festival, right? This, this community, this culture, and, and perhaps it's, it's the college influence, whatever it is, values good art. And so for us to care about that and do good art, and I'm saying because of it's expensive, because it takes time, I feel like the church more or less walked away from this, perhaps in the 80s or 90s. I don't know. Uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Amy Grant, like those were the only two Christian like worship people back in the 90s. I, I imagine like being a Christian uh, DJ radio host or whatever would have been the easiest job ever. You just put Amy Grant CD in, push play, because you just didn't have options. Some of you are laughing, you're like, ah, we sung that all the way to the 2000s. There's more artists out there, thank the Lord now, that are writing things, but for a while, that's all there was, uh, was those couple, and I'm saying, are we gonna value these things? And I think you can broaden it beyond just art. What are those other things that God has given us that can be used to bring glory to him? Does that make sense? All these gifts including the, the gift that comes of art, which seemingly for these guys comes directly from the Lord. But there's gifts, and when we studied out Ephesians chapter four in the fall, and I think we've got the slide for this, when we study out Ephesians four, you realize that he gives all these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists. This isn't a comprehensive list, but these gifts, which again, I would say worship leaders, art, uh, gift of serving, all these things are equipping the saints for what? For the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I think you can broaden it out. Certainly if you have artistic gifts and you can write songs and like John Newton, you could just write us a new response song every week to go along with the message. And you could produce stuff like Amazing Grace. We want to know that. <laughs> like that would be very helpful to have on our team. But beyond that, there, there's all sorts of gifts that God has given and some of you have been blessed enough to find places in the secular world that will employ you to use your gifts. And what I would beg is saying, can you use those gifts in the context of the church to bring glory to God? Much like art, that people would see the expression of your gift that, that, that is given from God and see how well you do those things. And would that lead them to the Lord? And so if you want God to get the glory, art done well or using your gifts well points people to the Lord. And so you see that right away in Exodus 31, that it reflects the goodness of who God is. It points people to him. And we're gonna continue reading. And we're gonna see that like uh, art, the Sabbath does the same thing. So the work of your hands done well points people to God in the rest of your whole person, like resting or Sabbathing. So what you do points people to God, and what you don't do can point people to God. And so we're going to continue reading. He says in verse 12, again, language is key here. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, 
you shall keep my Sabbath. So I'm going to read that again. You're to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Above all, he says. Do you understand the weight that God is giving this? In Exodus 20, there's nine other commands that are pretty good. But he comes back to this one. Again, the narrative's going to continue next week, and there's this golden calf, and things really go south quick. But one last reminder, and at the end of this chapter, you're going to see that Moses starts walking down with the tablets. But one last reminder, he says, above all, make sure they keep the Sabbath. You understand the weight that God is putting on the Sabbath. And so let's explain, what is it and why is it so important? Well, if you want to see what it is, you can go all the way back to the first account, and it'll be on the screen, Genesis chapter 2, first book of the Bible, second chapter. This is at the end of creation. We're going to see that in Genesis 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day... God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now let me ask you, was God tired? God's like, man, I'm wiped. It's been a busy week speaking things into existence. I'm just, I'm just going to... God wasn't tired. He, he's, he's all powerful, right? So, so God wasn't tired, but, but this idea that, that God stopped, stood back, and appreciated the work of his hands, right? Like when you get done with a really sweet art project, and you're like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take it in. That's a beautiful candle I made. Like, so God is saying on the seventh day, he rested. He took it in, just appreciated the work of his hands, and he told mankind, you do the same thing. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day. Set apart to the Lord. On it you shall do no work. And in Exodus 20, saying, not you, not your son, daughter, manservant, maidservant, not even the, the, the animals, but on it you shall rest. And so it's the stepping back and taking in who God is and what he has done. I think specifically at that time, clear back in Genesis, it would have been looking at creation and reflecting on the creator. I'm telling you, as for me, wanting to get with the Lord, taking in creation really helps me be in tune with the creator. And so now you, you like there's pavement everywhere. Like, how do you take in creation? One of the, my favorite ways. Being out in creation is good, but then you get those ticks on you, right? And you're like, now I'm going to get Lyme disease and die, so I don't know what to do there. Uh, so <laughs> from the comfort of your own couch now, you can take in creation. Have you seen planet Earth? It is like a worshipful experience. Planet Earth, I don't, I don't know. Uh, somebody put it out, and it is this amazing deal. And so I'll sit, and we don't have like regular TV, no cable, nothing, but we do splurge for $7.99 and do the Netflix thing. And I have an account on Netflix, and we don't watch a ton of TV, but when I do, I seemingly have a trend because Netflix will like suggest your next show. And my wife was flipping through it the other day on her, like, my account, and it's all just like outdoors, like shows, like creation, all in line with planet Earth because that's what I take in. I am just like enthralled by 
what God has created. And I'm telling you, you watch those shows and you get a, an idea pretty quick, just how small we are and how fast God's creation is. And so he's, he's telling these, these, these groups that are out in wilderness, they didn't have skyscrapers to block the sunrises and sunsets. They are out there camping amongst the stars. And God is saying, stop. I am, I am commanding you to just stop and one day a week just take it in. Don't work, but reflect on who I am. And he says, above all, I want you to do this. Remind them, you're going back. Make sure they don't forget to, to Sabbath. And look around and appreciate the work of my hands. And again, taking in the creation drives you to the creator. And I think this would have been especially sweet because where are they coming from? They're coming from Egypt. 400 years of forced slavery. The, I, at one point, Pharaoh's like, you need, to, you need to make bricks and go gather your own straw. Do you think that kind of slave driver, because they were literally enslaved, that slave driving spirit that would have them go gather their own stuff to, to stomp out their own bricks, to, to build cities, and to, to work, I would venture to guess they probably didn't get a day of rest. Here they are enslaved. And so I think this would have been especially sweet not to just take in creation, but to remember that they are free. And he's saying, above all, what I want you to do with your freedom is to take a day of that and just rest. Would you remember that you're no longer slaves, but, but in my goodness, I am telling you to rest and remember what I have done bringing you out of slavery. I mean, that would have been an incredible blessing for them. And so he says, six days you shall labor and do your work, but one is set apart. And in doing this, this would be a sign, he says, in verse 13, I think it is, the sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. What he's saying is, years later, generations later, they had been working out in the field, they would have been going after it, and then that Sabbath day would have came and they would have stopped. And kids would have been like, wait, we're not going out to the field today? We're not working today? Nope, this is a sign and they would then explain, see, God, when he created the world, he rested on the seventh day, and he just took it in. And so today, we're going to stop, and we're going to take it in. And I want you to know this, too, that, that we used to work seven days a week when we were in slavery, your great-grandpappy. But now, because of God, we get a rest today. It was a sign. And so they, he's saying, above all, do this because it's going to keep you grounded so you don't forget that you were once a slave. And so resting like art, it's to point people to God. It's a gift that, that, that should point people to God. And so if you're, you're taking notes, I think we talked about this originally when it came up in Exodus 20, but it's a clear sign of trust. I just say, Sabbathing well would have been a, a clear sign of trust. And there's some businesses that still do this today. They're like, we work six days and then we take Sunday off. You know, places like Chick-fil-A, you're not gonna go get a sandwich there today. They're not open. Hobby Lobby, there's a number of Christian businesses that display a sign of trust saying, we know our competitors are open. 
but we're going to lose 52 days a year or however many Sundays it works out to. We're going we're to give up that much work and trust that God's going to provide. It displays a level of trust. Again, there's a grocery store chain kind of in Iowa area that they leave the produce on the shelf. I'm like, you trust the Lord. <laughs> and so it, it's, a, it, it's a sign of trust. I think it's also a sign of priorities. It's saying, God, more than I need to get housework done, more than I need to get the paperwork done, more than I need to, to do these things, run errands, I need you. It's a sign of priorities, right? It's saying more than I need to do this, I need to, to have time with God. Right? Work's never done. But, but honoring this Sabbath is a clear sign of priorities that you're not gonna skimp on your relationship with the Lord. And so I remember talking to a guy back in rural Iowa again and, and just saying, man, I just don't feel like I have time. I won't forget it. He said, you don't have time, but you need to make time for the things that count. I know you don't have time to rest, but you need to make time. Does that make sense? My wife and I, it's hard to, to have time to, to get a date night. But if I care about that relationship, I'm gonna make time. I'm gonna put it as a priority. And so it's a sign of priorities when you say, God, more than I need to cut the grass, I need to get time in your word. And so I'm gonna let that stuff get a little shaggy. That way we can just have some time, me and you. It's a sign of priorities. And again, in the text, we covered it, but it helps you stay grounded, meaning it causes you to not go more than a week without really stopping and remembering what God has done. He's saying your generations are going to know. I'm going to tell you a sad story about a guy I once worked with that bought into the lie of the culture. You got to work seven days a week, 365 days a year. Go, 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 go. He didn't know how to rest. This is a true story. He worked so hard. I remember him coming back and just telling me about all the stuff he'd done, you know, working so hard, knowing that it was taken away from his family, that it was taken away from time, and certainly time from God. And I think, like, in doing so, he wanted that affirmation, like, wow, you're such a hard worker. Honestly, he was telling me about this one time where he just work so hard, muscle and stuff, moving it around. And he's like, I work so hard. And I laughed. I remember laughing. I'm like, you're a fool. I'm like, you could have made a few calls, bought a few pizzas, and what took you two days to do, you could have done in two hours with some help. <laughs> Does that make sense? I don't think it's noble to, to, to just work harder instead of working smarter. And so the story goes on. He never learned how to rest. And it was to his de demise. In fact, he lost his job. We were no longer coworkers because he was so bitter. He, he really thought, I think, that he held the world together because he never stopped and appreciated that God was actually at work. He never displayed a sign of trust for God. And honestly, it gets worse is not only did he lose his job, he really lost his faith. And I think God, again, designed the Sabbath to really bless mankind, that he knew our limitations. Even the toughest workaholic, you do rest. You do go to sleep. Nobody can go without sleep. Eventually, you'll rest in one form or another. I think it's a, it's a gift from the Lord. And so what this looks like for me practically, and I think it can look different, I think of it as working six days a week and resting one, meaning I work for the church five days a week, I work for my family one day a week, house projects, those things. And one day, 
no work, it's a day of rest. And so for, for our staff, specifically with the church, that's Tuesday. Like, that's why I can never get a hold of you on Tuesday. No, like our staff knows if you email, text, or call on a Tuesday, like something better be on fire because we don't work on Tuesday. And what that looks like for me to, to do this personally, to share, I don't know if it's helpful, but it looks like I still get up at a pretty decent hour on Tuesday. Honestly, usually that day is dedicated to, to prayer and kind of fasting. Usually I'll go off to some coffee shop and, and sit down and read my Bible and then uh, usually a free read kind of book as well. If I'm on it, I'll try and get home and uh, take one of my daughters out for like a daddy-daughter date. <laughs> and then um, I stay home and then I let Sarah, I don't know, like she gets to go out then and she gets to have some time away from the kids just with God. And so I take the morning and, uh, and she takes the afternoon, which again, I kind of win on this one too, because then the girls go down for a nap. <laughs> and sometimes I just take a nap. Like they're taking a nap, I'll take a nap. I want to, yeah, your pastor takes a nap on Tuesdays, right? From one to three. Phones off and, and sometimes just take a nap and rest. I don't think that's a sign of weakness. I think that's a sign that I trust God enough that I realize he's actually the one gonna get things done. And then we break that fast with a family meal that night. You usually do family devos and, 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 and I mean, it's chaos. Usually we would like read a story and then do some like worship. I can kind of like pluck a guitar a little bit, enough where my girls think it's great, but they're dancing around. We usually act out the Bible story, put them to bed, engage in some conversation with Sarah. No TV that night, but just us together. And then get ready, because Wednesday marks the start of my week. First meetings at 6 a.m. every week, and then go hard. Resting in order to work hard. That's what it looks like personally for me. And I just think, does anyone here not need rest? Again, everybody needs some sort of rest. I'd ask it like this. Does anybody just not desire to have a vacation? Everybody's like, you know what? If I could give you my vacation, I don't, I don't really want them. I don't need them. Like everybody has this longing for a vacation, I believe, right? To just, just eat some good food, sit somewhere, to unplug, not have to worry about work. Some of you are like, yes, that sounds amazing right now. I'm saying what God designed for them was a little mini vacation once a week that they would be able to just sit and just take it in and unplug. You understand how helpful that would be in keeping somebody grounded. And so I want to be clear, though, that I think this is really helpful and wise. This is really directed at the people of Israel. When you go to the New Testament, this is not any longer a command that necessarily has to be obeyed. And again, this will be on the screen. Romans 14.5 says this. One man considers one day to be more sacred than the other. Another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He goes on in Colossians to make it all the more clear. This is Paul. He says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. What's he saying there? He's saying, 
people are going to vary. You might consider this day set apart rather than this day. He's saying it's just a shadow. Like in the chapters before, the tabernacle was just a shadow of our ability to be in the presence of God. Does that make sense that Todd went and unpacked that? He's saying you had all this beautiful stuff, but only certain people could get in this room, and it was just a glimpse of what was to come. And so it's, hey, great job, uh, Bezalel and Aholiab, like, great job on the artwork. But in terms of bringing people to God, it pales in comparison to Jesus Christ saying, it is finished on a cross and a four-inch curtain being torn from top to bottom. Then now because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can now experience the full presence of who God is that we can go directly to him. And so it's just a shadow. The tabernacle is just a, a shadow of our ability to be with God. Now in Jesus, he got the full thing. And so this idea of, of I mean, it puts it in perspective when it comes to the Sabbath. Now because of Jesus, we can have this daily kind of rest as we walk with him. And so it's not as necessary perhaps to have a specific day set apart to really meet with the Lord and keep it holy. But because God dwells within us, we have the Holy Spirit that we can walk with Jesus on a daily basis. Now all of a sudden this one day a week doesn't make it quite as crucial or necessary because we can have rest in Jesus. Does that make sense? So there's a freedom that when you see in Colossians and when you, when you look at Romans, there, there's, a, there's a freedom that we have. So the scripture makes it clear that for Christians, Sabbath keeping is a matter of spiritual freedom, not a command from God. Now, as your pastor, as someone that would guide you, looking at a culture that seems increasingly burnt out, increasingly tired, and increasingly discontent, I say you might want to use your freedom to consider resting and learning how to do that well. If you find yourself discontent, you find yourself burnt out and stressed, if you're asking from a pastoral standpoint, I would say your problem might not be that you need to work harder. Problem might be that you should learn how to rest better. Does that make sense? And rest well, I'm not talking like rest in the sense of vegging out and watching Netflix. I'm talking rest in regards to a really good Sabbath rest where you keep it holy and pursue the Lord. And so I'd, I'd see this. For me, the one day a week thing, why we guard that, is, it's kind of like the Lent challenge we just did. In reality, we should pursue the Lord 365 days a year. But we went through a challenge for 40 days where we, as a church, kind of corporately did some spiritual disciplines. And the hope is that that would be helpful and inform the other 325 days a year and that perhaps some things that you learned in that season would spill over. And what I would say for, for me personally, the disciplines that are cultivated in that one day of leaning into Christ and learning how to rest in him spills over for me personally in the other six. Again, I can't command because scripture doesn't go there, but it seems like a good idea. And so if that's you, you're like, man, I'm just kind of stressed out. I'm, I'm working really hard. It's like clear back to Genesis 2. We see that God has given this as a gift to help us stay connected to him. In the end, though, as we look at this, we see that both art, these things done well, can push people 
to glorify God. And we see that rest, taking that Sabbath, I think especially in our culture of busy bodies, pushes people to say, man, how is it that you can have just a sense of peace? To which we can then follow up and say, because I understand who Jesus is, what God has done, his love for me, and I understand who actually holds the world in his hands. I believe in the sovereignty of God. So therefore, I can take a nap. Man, doesn't it sound amazing that, that we have a God that so wants to reveal himself? And just to be clear, again, the fullest expression is through Jesus Christ. But we can't, if we want God to receive the glory, we can't minimize the arts. And we have to recognize that God has given that gifting to people to be used to push people to him. And in fact, we're gonna get to respond. We've got a couple songs and I'll invite the band up, but we're gonna respond by taking communion now. But the last song that we'll sing today, we got two more songs. The last one was written by uh, a church in our network, Cornerstone. It was written by some, I think, young college guy. <laughs> and he wrote this song. And again, I think it's, it's such a, an awesome opportunity to be able to worship and sing back the truths of who God is. And so we're gonna respond now with, uh, with communion. And again, that reality that, that Jesus Christ died to make the most direct route, the clearest, <laughs> he is the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through him. And so God's gonna use these other things, but it's only through Jesus. And so when we take communion, we're acknowledging, we're professing that our hope and our trust is in Jesus Christ. That through him, his death on a cross, his body being broken, his blood being shed, that we can come to the Father. 